CEO of GE, Jack Welch, had to reveal his retirement arrangement with GE due to a divorce proceeding. The nation was shocked, actually, at the retirement package that he received, this luxurious lifestyle and its perks, and it caused a great amount of headlines. In response to that, Breakpoint columnist Chuck Colson, who used to work on Nixon's staff and is a follower of Jesus now, commented on Welch's testimony, and here's what he said. During an appearance at a public forum, Welch was asked what he had learned from a brush with death death seven years earlier. Had he had an epiphany during his heart surgery? His answer was, I learned I didn't spend enough money. When pressed, and they thought he was joking, he added that after his bypass surgery, he vowed never again to drink wine that cost less than $100 a bottle. And he was completely serious. What a sad answer. What's even sadder is that Welch is hardly unique in his regard, that past decade was characterized by a frenzied consumption in which your choice of olive oil, kitchen gadgets, underclothes, and cars become a spiritual matter. This, this attitude is actually reflected and has been reflected throughout history, and especially in the major Roman cities in the first century, and especially in the one that we're talking about these last months in the city of Colossae. Because simply you could do this. You could choose the lifestyle, select the lifestyle you want, choose the corresponding God, and they had a long list of gods, that would then validate your selection because it's all a spiritual matter. So I have a question for you. If you were kidnapped and held in an Afghanistan stronghold, who would you want to rescue you? Jack Welch and a couple of his buddies from the Fortune 500 list or the Marines? The Marines. When they came through the door, would you want to hear Semper Fi or Chardonnay? Jack Welch has lived a lifestyle that is shaped for enjoying life, and that's a natural thing to want to do. The Marines live a lifestyle that's shaped for saving life. Now, I am, I am, I've never been in the Marines. I've not been in the armed forces before, but I can just tell you from what I've read and the people I've talked to that when you show up at Paris Island for boot camp, you're not expecting tea time at 8 and cocktails at 6. You're actually expecting to be shaped into something other than Joe or Jane normal. So then when we enter into God's kingdom and Jesus Christ declares us as his body, Should we come expecting cocktails at six or a reshaping? Should we expect normal or other? We have in America this temptation because of our prosperity to believe that when we come to God in his kingdom through his son Jesus Christ, that all we're adding to our lifestyle now is now the supernatural, now the blessings of God, now the miracles And so we're just going to add that to our living. So Paul the Apostle in this letter we've been reading that he sent to his friends in Colossae has been reminding us of what he calls the gospel. And if you ever heard people talk about the gospel, let me tell you what the gospel is. The gospel is a declaration because of his death and resurrection that Jesus is Lord. 
Jesus is Lord, not Caesar, as they were saying in that first century. And not these other gods, and although Paul says they're really not gods, they're, they're, they're statues and wooden and, and, and stone things created that have been influenced and possessed by demonic influence. He says, so Jesus is Lord. Now, if Jesus is truly Lord, as we have so, so wonderfully expressed this morning in our worship, if he is, Jesus is Lord, and he is that elevated that there's no being greater than him, then it just makes sense that we should submit to him. We should declare his lordship in our lives. And in doing so, we allow him to shape us. And what he shapes us into is what Paul has called in this letter, holy. Holy means other. And when you talk about holy and other, there are two main streams that we must enter into because when they came to Jesus, they said, well, what will please God? What would make him happy that we could be with him forever? And Jesus said two things, love God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself. So therefore, if we are holy and other by our submission to him as Lord, therefore, how we love God is other than what our society would say we should do. If we are to love each other in a holy manner, then we love each other in a way other than the society tells us or demonstrates that we should. So Paul then ends his letter, and we're, we're wrapping it up today, and I just feel like we're, we're leaving a, a place that we've just been here a long time, and it's one of those places where you've just gone, gone to, to love the people, and now you, you, have to go, you have to move on, but you don't have to. You can continue to read this letter. And so Paul wraps it up and he says, so here's the deal. I want to show you how this works. I'm going to demonstrate it for, for you. And it's a part of the, the last chapter of, of Colossians where sometimes we just read it through because it's kind of like he's saying, well, say hi and, and, and greet and do. And, and, but understand that this is the demonstration of what he's been saying all the way through the letter. And so he's saying at this moment, I want to demonstrate to you what it is when you reveal Jesus through his holiness and that you deal with God and with other people in an other manner and demonstrate how this works. Because when you do this, you will be shaped into that which is counterculture because it's other. You will become revolutionary because it's other. You are like the Marines when you show up to boot camp. You will not come out like the normal citizen. You will be other. Only this is God creating you. So he says, here's, here's what I want you to see. And he demonstrates it through the people he talks about. And the first is this. Presence beats presentation. There's this uh, friend we met in South Africa and we were there visiting our daughter a few months ago. Her name is Jasper. And Jasper is, is there with her, her husband living in South Africa for a while while he's doing work in South Africa. And she's a folk singer. And so she's developing a fan base in South Africa singing folk songs from America. It's just kind of strange, but that's what she's doing. The amazing thing about Jasper is this, that when our daughter was going through an extreme crisis, probably the the most difficult crisis of her life, Jasper was right there. She was with Christy on a regular basis, walking with her and talking her through the issues. Now, Jasper, as far as Christy has expressed to us, is just an incredible friend and a wonderful person, but she, she's not a Christian. She will not say she's a Christian because 
because here's what she says. She said the Christians that she knew and grew up with and she came out of a Christian home are more interested in what's going to happen in the end than they are caring in the present. And she says we've got to care in the present, which she demonstrates by her life. In fact, even though she doesn't say she's a Christian, she loves like Jesus. And Christy returns a reciprocation of that relationship because they both have learned to care in the present. And it's what Paul describes in his letter, Colossians 4, verse 7, when he says this, Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may what? Encourage your hearts. Tychicus was carrying a letter for Paul to this town of Colossae, which we're reading. He was also carrying another letter that was supposed to go to Laodicea, and many historians believe that is a letter that made, it way, made its way to Ephesus, which is the book of Ephesians that we also read in the New Testament. What is significant about what he says here is the way that he describes Tychicus. He says this, he is a faithful minister. He is a, a dear brother. The dear brother is this sense of intimacy. We've got this, this intimate relationship, brothers, warriors together. He said he's a faithful minister, which means he is, he's a loyal assistant, that we have this camaraderie that we're working together. And then he also says that he is also a fellow servant, which is really the word bond servant, that they both have the same passion to serve Jesus. So he says, I'm sending him to you, not just with print on this, this manuscript, but I'm sending him there so that he can be the expression of these words to you as if I were there because he's so much like me. Our hearts are united together. You need to have these words in flesh, and he's coming there to encourage you. The word that he uses, parakletos, is the word that, that means to move next to and to call. It means to care in the present, to, to meet with you and to intimately talk with you. See, what we're doing here on Sunday morning in this worship gathering is wonderful. We have to do this because there's nothing like a corporate expression of worship and then God's word being, being embraced by everyone so we move the same direction. But I want you to hear me clearly. I, I, I validate this and think it's vitally important that we're together every week. We've got to be. But I want to say that just as important and in many ways more important, more important than this big screen monologue that you hear from someone speaking every Sunday, there needs to be face-to-face -face dialogue that takes place on a regular basis. I, I think about Jesus, and it's an amazing thing that when when John the Baptist was standing with his disciples and Jesus walked by, John says to his disciples, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. A couple of the disciples found Jesus and they were so blown away of the fact that this could be the Messiah, this is the Lamb of God. They didn't know quite what to say. So they finally just said, so like, uh, where are you staying? And Jesus said, come with me. And he takes them to where he's lodging and they have a sleepover. They spend time together because it is caring in the presence. I find it astonishing that Jesus goes out of his way to go into hostile territory where the Samaritans live to find a woman who's made shambles of her relationships so that he can meet with her and care for her in the present to put her life back together again. 
It's, it's caring in the present. I just think it's amazing that he has this group of people, this, this parade of people in Jericho, and he's walking, and he stops under a tree because there's a guy sitting in the tree trying to get a look at Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, let's go have lunch together. Because Jesus is always caring in the present. We call that investing. Investing in our friendships. We need to understand that our present generation learns more from face-to-face conversation than they do Sunday presentation. Understand that. You, you may have gone in a tradition where everything came from here on Sunday morning from the pulpit, and that needs to continue. There needs to still be the expressions of the, of the apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists, but there needs to be a lot more dialogue and conversation all week long about who Jesus is and what he's doing in your life. That's just got to happen. There needs to be that dialogue. So understand that meals and Jesus are a great mix. You know what I mean? Meals and Jesus, because that Jesus is always having dinner with somebody, talking to somebody. So understand that meals and Jesus are a great mix. In fact, say that loudly with me. Meals and Jesus are a great mix. Ready? Meals and Jesus are a great mix. And following that exercise is also good. Make room for your friends because if what Paul said in his letter is true, that it is Christ in you, the hope of glory, then your friends will understand as you are spending time with them who this Jesus is because the hope of glory begins to radiate through just normally who you are. And your friends will get it. So you are, you are Tychicus. And you are to encourage and in doing so, you demonstrate Jesus Christ in you, the hope of glory. Because what happens then is this, that love reveals transformation. See, what Paul's about to say is not some cheesy hallmark card presentation, but listen to what he says, Colossians 3.12. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, the other people, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, Humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults. Grab hold of that. Make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. Who of you this week were offended by somebody? Are you sitting by them? No, don't do that. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Arriving with Tychicus was a guy named Onesimus. You remember Onesimus? We talked about him before. He is a slave, a runaway slave, which in those days, runaway slaves, when found, would be executed. And not only did he run away from his master in Colossae, he stole from him. And now he's returning as a criminal and really the lower entity on the food chain. He just doesn't, he's not worth much. He wasn't worth much as a, as a slave and now as a runaway slave and a thief, psh, there's nothing there for him. And Paul writes to these guys and, and even a separate letter to Philemon who was the owner of Onesimus and says this, because of this otherness, this holiness, this difference that you are, this countercultural life that you now live, understand you're going to be tested here that you will deal differently in an other manner 
in dealing with marginalized people, people who are thought to be lesser. And so here's what he says, Colossians 4, verse 9. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is what? One of you. Whoa. He's one of you. The guy that that ripped you off, the guy that left you, that guy is now one of you. You must erase the past labels and know that he is one of you. And notice Paul didn't say, you can take him back because he promises never to do it again. He can't guarantee that. He just says, take him as a brother. So let me just pause here and ask you, who is it in your life, what people do you think are lesser than you? And don't say, oh, nobody. Yeah, yeah, you do. We all do. They're lesser in education. They are lesser in athletic ability. They are, are, are lesser in their appearance. They are, they are lesser in their success. They are lesser in their economic status. He says, I want you to understand that when you see those people and you think, ah, you must open up the door to them. But you don't understand, they just wear me out. They just tore my heart out. Is that not what Jesus did for us? Because I can just see Jesus standing before the Father with me and saying, Father, I want you to meet Jack. And the Father's saying, well, isn't, this the, isn't this the guy that wore you out? And I tell you, I wear him out. Isn't he the one that tore your heart out? I've torn his heart out. Isn't he the one who beat you? Isn't he the one who betrayed you? Isn't he the one who abandoned you? Isn't he the one responsible for putting you on the cross? Yes. But he is my brother. And because we are connected in that manner, again, remember what Paul said, teach Uh, treat each other with tender-hearted mercy and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Make allowance. I love this part. Make allowance for each other's faults. Make allowance. Let me tell you something what gossip is, and that's why we try to stamp out gossip. Gossip is not allowing faults. Gossip is declaring, here's a standard, you didn't meet it, and you're out the door. Gossip is an arrogance that does not belong in the kingdom of God. And it must stop when your words begin to declare someone is not worthy of being with you or worthy of this group. You have not given allowance for their faults. And God says, oh, you can't do that. And Paul said, you've got to. Because he said on all of this, you've got to clothe yourself in love. Because that love is so vitally important because Paul's reminding us that sometimes life just stinks. Help. So this week, Pam showed me on Facebook one of the young mothers of the church, and I saw her this morning, I confirmed this. I told her she'd hear it in a sermon sometime, and it's this morning. She wrote the words a mother never wants to hear. It's from her three-year-old daughter. The words were these, Mommy, I pooped in your bed. She did, and she was proud of it. She said, look, look, sometimes life just stinks. Sorry. It's a great story. 
So Paul says this. He says, I, wanted, I, I got some friends who want to say hi to you. Aristarchus wants to say hi to you. Mark, the guy that later would write the Gospel of Mark and Justice. And he describes why they are with him. And this is important, Colossians 4. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have, poured, have proved a comfort to me. See, Paul, Paul gets really vulnerable at this moment because his own people have violently opposed him. They have beaten him, they have imprisoned him, and they've tried to murder him. And he said, there are only these three guys, because I feel so alone, but there's only these three guys of my own people who have hung with me, and it distresses me. The roller coaster of emotions that he must have gone through at this time must be staggering because he would say, I love you and I've got this gift for you. And they would turn on him and beat him and throw him out of the city and try to arrest him or put him in the grave. And it crushes him. He would have said, I have dangers every day and rejection every week. And, he said, and, and what do you do with that? I was talking to a, a young man this week uh, one of the young adults, and, and he's in love. And, and the reason that I know he's in love is because of what he said. He told me this story. You see, the girl that he loves is the daughter of an alcoholic. And she has gone through hell on earth for many years. If you go to her house, she'll tell you that her father will be drunk, and either he'll be drunk and nice or drunk and obnoxious or drunk and mean. And this last week, he was drunk and mean. He berated her. He stole her dignity. And he drained her of all value. And she said to her boyfriend, I don't, I don't know who I am anymore. I don't think I have any worth. And then he said these words. I am ready to spend the rest of my life Revealing her value. Now see, that's love. Who of us doesn't need someone to come up next to us and say, I'm here, tell me your story. Tell me how shocking it is because I want to serve you that I may reveal your value. Whenever we serve, see, if you serve someone, if I serve you, it reveals value to you. Serving is revealing value. This, this last week, the founder of Royal Family Kids Camp, Wayne Tesh, was in town. And, and, and so Pam and I had a chance to, to have dinner with him. He's actually my second cousin. And, and so we got to, to talk about old times. And we're sitting in a restaurant. And he excused himself to go to the restroom. And, and we're done with our meal. And, and, and he goes to the restroom. And he's heading back. And I notice out of the corner of my eye, this older couple getting up from the table. And she's grabbing her coat. And as Wayne walks by, he grabs her coat and holds it for her to put on. And she looks shocked and she smiles. And, and he puts it on her and she goes, well, thank you so much. And it must have made a, an impression because he sat back down and on their way out, she walked by and tapped him on the shoulder and said, thank you so much. What happened at that moment was just a glimpse of the fact that when you serve, you bring value. Mister, when you hold the door for a lady to go into a store, if that moment is a glimpse of value. When you're on Peach Street and it's crowded, which seems to be all the time now, and you let someone in, it says you got value. When your neighbor 
has had surgery and you decide you're going to make some meals and you take them over and you serve them, it says you have value. Serving validates our faith. And I'm just amazed to still hear people talk about the fact that faith, or the, that, that serving is, is, is like some kind of program that you've got to fit into a busy schedule. You can't fit serving into a busy schedule. You have to adjust your life to it. Here's what Paul says, Colossians 4.12. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. Now, he's always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he's working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. This is the guy who first came to, to Colossae and brought a revealing of Jesus. He is now away from them, but he is still serving them. And the wording that Paul uses is this, that he is working hard, which actually means to toil into feeling pain. That I will work in my discomfort for you so that you can stand firm in God's will for you. I will serve you so that you can find all that God has for you, even when it causes me pain. Now hear me. In the kingdom of God, that is the norm, not the exception. What is it that Jesus said before he left? He said, wash these people's feet like I wash their feet and you will be blessed. It is a serving thing that we must do. Serving is the norm in the kingdom of God. And if, it is not serving, if serving is not the norm around here, then we are abnormal within the kingdom of God. We've got to because it gives value and it shows who God is. You say, but I'm just too busy. No, 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 no. If you're too busy to serve, you're too busy to love, and then we've got problems. I don't hear, I don't hear Jesus as he's, as he's walking through doing what he's doing when the woman that has been hemorrhaging for years touches the hem of his garment, and he stops. He doesn't say, whoever bothered me, I'm too busy. When the leper came looking for Jesus, hunting him down, Jesus didn't turn to him and said, sorry, you're not in my schedule. In fact, he did this to the woman. He said, who touched me? That is a way of saying, who is it and what's your story? I want to know. And he focuses his attention on her. What's your story? Oh, you're healed. And to the leper, he says, what is it that you want? The intention there is, I'm asking you what you want because I'm here to serve you. What's your story? How can I serve you? What's your story? How can I serve you? That's what Jesus did. And if we're going to live that kind of life, then we need to understand that we need to build in our schedule margins of uncommitted time so that we'll understand that when interruptions come, interruptions are opportunities to serve. And if we are packed full, we can't serve. And if we can't serve, we can't love. And then we are not the norm within the kingdom anymore. When we learn to serve that way, and there are a bunch of people in this church that do that. It's amazing to me that I'm always hearing somebody say, yeah, I asked so-and-so, and they came over and helped, and, and I know they're busy, but they're just, they're just finding the spots. They're finding the time. We've got to give ourselves that space, the margins. When we do that, that love then brings us into wonderful connection, and that connection 
fortifies force. No one person and no one church community of faith can alone do what Jesus has asked us to do, which is to reveal Jesus in an anti-Jesus society. You can't do that. Listen to what Paul says, Colossians 4, verse 15. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And after this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Laodicea was about 10 miles downstream and to the west of Colossae. And Nympha's house was somewhere in that location. And there was a, a gathering, a house church in that spot. And he said, so you guys read the letter from to Laodicea, and then you get it back over to Colossae, and you guys read the letter in Colossae, and you get it back over there, and you exchange the letters because I want you to understand, and he's going out of his way to make sure they understand that you belong to each other. That you have mutual love, mutual prayer, mutual service, mutual instruction. I just love the fact that two weeks or a week ago yesterday, we gathered with Grace Church and some other people, and we went out to the community together because we can't do this by ourselves. I love the fact that we're gathering together for a a community Good Friday service because we can't do this by ourselves. I'm glad we gather for the evening with the Holy Spirit with other churches on Friday, once Friday a month, uh, one Friday a month because we can't do this ourselves. We need each other. Paul had never been to Laodicea. He had never been to Colossae. But he's going out of his way to make sure that they are joining together, that they are getting connected together, because the more we connect with each other, the greater our force. So here's the deal. We have stories in this church, in you, the church. Some of you are dealing with cancer. Some of you are dealing with infidelity in marriage. Some of you are dealing with with trying to find a university and the funds to, to cover you while you're there. Some of you are dealing with a business that's struggling. Paul is intending that we take our stories and not hide from each other, but open them up to people we can trust and learn from each other. Share those stories with each other. Not show up in a once a week gathering as if nothing in the world is wrong with you, but instead sharing our stories together. Two pastoral students from a Christian college in Alabama were doing some summer door-to-door work and, and during the summer. And, and one day, in a hot Alabama day, that humidity and, and that heat, they came to a house and they made their way through this gauntlet of screaming children and barking dogs. Got to the screen door and knocked on the screen door. There's a lady inside and she looks up and, and she's, she's leaning over a wash basin with that, that old board that you, you scrub on. Because this is real poverty. And it's just hot and humid, and the house is just shambles. And, and her hair is just down on her face, and she's kind of like this to try to blow it up. And, and the sweat is just dripping off of her, and the kids are screaming, and the dogs are barking. And she says, what do you want? And these two guys say to her, we would like to tell you how to obtain eternal life. Exhausted, she hesitated and replied, Thank you, but I don't believe I could stand it. (laughs) How we are making it right now is just as important as life forever down the road. 
That's what your neighbor wants to know. In fact, let me tell you something. In your pain may come your most powerful serving. In your pain may come your most powerful serving. Because what it is is, look, I'm in pain, and this is what Jesus is doing. And, and someone else may say, yeah, and, and, and here I'm in my pain, and here's what Jesus is doing, and that will encourage you with each other. Because what that will create then is this environment Paul calls, grace be with you. Often Paul would take the pen from his, his scribe, from his stenographer, and he would end the letter by his own signature in writing. And he ends this letter as it began, and here's what he says, Colossians 4.18. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains and what? Grace be with you. So we're with Wayne Tesh this week, and, and one of the things that I found out about Wayne is that Wayne really loves Special Olympics. And so he said, I was at Special Olympics in UCLA. The UCLA Special Olympics, and they're getting ready to, or they're actually begun, they've begun the 200-meter run. And so... The, the, the Olympians are running. And you've got to know something about Special Olympics that every participant at the end of the race has a hugger. There's a hugger waiting for them. And so they're running down toward the finish line, and the huggers are all set. And they're almost there when they all realize there's just still one person who's just barely begun. And Wayne said that he would take a step and drag his foot, take a step and drag his foot, take a step and drag his foot. And suddenly the whole crowd realizes there he is struggling to catch the other group. And they begin to cheer for him. Start yelling for him. And he suddenly realizes that all eyes are on him. And he goes. <laughs> and then he goes a little further in. And he's soaking this in. And the cheers are getting louder as he's getting down to the end of the 200 meters. And the hugger can't wait. The hugger bolts over and grabs him and hugs him. And they cross together. What an incredible sign. We all live with too many people that tell us we're lame. You're not strong enough. You're not smart enough. You're not rich enough. You're not spiritual enough. We don't need anybody else telling us we're lame. We know we're lame. But there's this this thing that, that the author of Hebrews said, that there's this great host of witnesses, like they're in the stands cheering for us to finish. And I have found that usually whatever's in heaven is reflected on earth. So that means to tell me, that, that tells me that, that God intends for there to be a whole crowd of witnesses right here cheering us on. Some of you feel so lame today. You just feel like you blew it so badly. I want to tell you that we are cheering you. We're not giving up on you. We are saying, go, go, go. And we're there to hug you. It's amazing that's how he ends the letter. Because that kind of environment is this, grace be with you. And that is how we reveal Jesus. Would you stand? So how do we end this? In a way that I've never done before. First of all, I want to say, if you, if you have questions about our relationship with this Jesus who has so much grace, please stop by our information desk. We have a gift for you to show you how to, to walk on this journey and people that will answer questions regarding that. Just say, Pastor Jack, at the end of service, was talking about a gift. They'll give it to you. 
and it'll help you on that journey. So here's what we're going to do. I need for some guys who are warriors. You're strong men, and, 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 and I'm going to need you to do this. In just a moment, I'm going to need you to step out in the aisles. Guys who say, hey, I'm a warrior, I'm strong. Because we're, gonna, we're going to encourage each other. So let me just ask, for, for those guys who are warriors, get out, get out in, the, in the hallway. I'm not the hallway, the, the, the aisle. Don't go in the hallway, the aisle. Come on, come on, don't be shy. Come on, you're strong, you're, you're warriors. I need more guys. Come on, guys, get out there. There you go, just right in the, right in the aisle. In the balcony, I need some guys out in the, come on. If you're not a wimp, get in the aisle. <laughs> All right, now make room. I need some ladies who found strength in Jesus. And that, that you are women and you are, you are tender, but you are strong. Get out in the aisle with the guys. Ladies. All right. Here's how we're going to end this. We're going to do a little grace be with you. Most of you are in the aisles now, so you're going to have to help each other. I want, in a moment when I dismiss, I want guys to go to guys, and I want guys to hug like warriors. All right? None of the Femi stuff. Give me a guy up here. Come here. Get a guy. Luke, come on up here. Luke, come on. You're a guy. Get up here. Come on. I want you to be warriors, and I want you to go, man, grace be with you. All right? Did I hurt you? No, you're oh, okay, okay. All right. And ladies, I don't know how you hug, but just do that thing. But I just want you to let people know that you're with them, and I just want you to say the words, grace be with you, which means this, I'm cheering for you. And then after you've done that, get out of here. And enjoy your 72-degree weather today. All right? Let, let, me, let me pray a blessing over you. Let me, pray, let me pray a blessing over you. Let me pray a blessing. Hang on, hang on. Stay with me. Now may you find, as you walk through this day, that the cheers of those around you carry you by God's Spirit, and may you find those around you that you can care for in the present. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go hug.